3: This is Somewhere in the Skies, with Ryan Sprague.
0: Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Before we get to this week's interview, I wanted to share a really cool experience I had here in Los Angeles a few months ago. I had the amazing opportunity to take part in a very cool panel discussion at the comedy venue, Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. The panel was hosted by stand-up comedian Moshe Kasher for his acclaimed podcast, the Houndtall Discussion Series. Joining Moshe was Irish comedian Ashling B and Oscar-nominated husband-and-wife duo Kumal Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. The topic was UFOs. Naturally. And along with these brilliant comedians, I helped navigate the panel and the sold-out live audience through over 70 years of UFO history, starting with the Battle of Los Angeles of 1942 and working our way all the way up to the recent Secret Pentagon UFO program. With special permission by Moshe Kasher, he allowed me to share with you a small portion of our discussion that night. I hope you enjoy. So, yeah.
2: so Project Blue Book was shut down in 1969. Why did they shut it down? Because they decided there was no credible threat, whether that was true or not. They shut it down, and they said. Or did they find it enough to, to realize that they had to start hiding it? Yeah. By the way, I do want to say that the government secrecy around it. I understand that, and I support it. What do you I, think that is? <laughs> I think if they were like, oh, we don't know this spacecraft coming and going, we have no idea. That would be horrifying. I what would, would know. I would know. But what, what do you think would happen in a in a in a in a world where we're we're living in a, a reality that's terrifying on a daily basis? Yes. Like, what would really happen if the government was like, yeah, there are UFOs? Also, it wouldn't even move aliens. the needle. Yeah, you know? no, but that's like, we elected Trump. It's all yeah, good. But that's <laughs> now. I'm I'm saying like, but, before that, no, I agree and with I, that, and I think that the era that these that these craft came out, that's post World War II era, people were really paranoid about the yes. end of the world, nuclear weapons. Now we just accepted that it's definitely going to happen, and it's not a big deal. Now. Yeah.
3: So, but it doesn't.
2: So it explains why they covered it up in the first place. It, it doesn't explain why they continue to do so today, if it is in fact a cover up. And I think the evidence shows that it is in fact a cover up, whether they're covering up their own technology or not. We don't know. But what what happened when they shut down Project Blue Book? Did they stop researching UFOs?
0: Uh, apparently, th- that was their official statement on it. Um, a story came out. You know, maybe a month ago, uh, where we learned that that certainly was not the case. What was that story? Uh, so, this happened about a month ago. The New York Times uh, came out with an article about a secret Pentagon program that had been going on for about five years where they were secretly investigating UFOs. You
2: mean the last five years? There's been a, pro- a program at the Pentagon. This was UFOs. from
0: about 2000, yeah, about 2008 or so to, to now, so a little longer than that.
2: And Did they discover anything? So this yeah. is what you were talking about, Kamel.
0: Yeah, it's really great stuff. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, for like ufologists who were screaming, you know, for vindication yeah. that these things are real. And this by was, the
2: way, to your point, Moshe, this story came out and not, it, like, did not did move the needle. 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 Exactly. Everybody's <laughs> just like,
0: "What did Trump tweet?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's alien <laughs> life here, right?" Now. Now, but what about Trump, though? Did he fuck Stormy Daniels? But <laughs> well, do you think yeah. that that's why certain things take off because they kind of capture a mood? Like there are certain times when collectively we're, we're humans are more like bees. Like we all sort of are afraid of the same things at the same time. Whether it's terrorism or UFOs at the time, or or mad cow disease or whatever it's going to be, we all get afraid of the same thing, and it takes attention away from something else. At the moment in the world, aliens are the least of our fucking problems. Absolutely. So we're like, oh, come. And, yeah. s- come and bomb us or do something it'll be better than what's going
1: on now <laughs> but, but tell us so about the Pentagon, a, okay. b- b- oh, But before yeah. you do that actually, yeah.
2: speaking of terrorism just real quick what's your favourite terror attack oh I don't know I mean the IRA had some real doozies <laughs> during the 80s um, no I wasn't trying to d- d- distract from, from what you were saying I was just saying in terms of it going quiet it's because the fear has been sort of pushed somewhere else so I'm not surprised there was no big uh, like kind of like hitting the news about it because people are so overwhelmed by everything else that's Going on, but that's yeah. but also that's we
0: a arrival came out right after the election, and I sobbed like a baby during that yeah. movie. Yeah. So,
2: so what? What? Um, what was the friends. the Pentagon story? What did we learn from that?
0: So the head of the program, his name was Luis Elizondo. He'd worked for the Department of Defense for a really long time. He was hired to uh, to head this project by uh, I believe a Senator Harry Reid. Mm-hmm. Yes, was the one it was who, Harry yeah. Reid. Harry Reid. He's the one who got the money to do that. What are you, a hip hop hype man? <laughs> the super
2: Harry Reid.
0: I just mean it's not a crazy guy. It's
2: a guy we know. Well, that's what I kept coming to with this, with the stuff that you sent me. Was like, like, yes, there are crazies out there that are like, you know, saying that they are getting alien anal probes. But a lot of the people that are cited in your book and in this documentary are like, you know, Air Force General, uh, Majors, Air Force Pilots.
1: Jimmy They're,
2: Carter, right? Jimmy, Jimmy Carter, Carter. Oh, Gerald right. Ford, Harry Truman. So what? Uh, oh, so so the day. <laughs> Morris Day and, the, and time, the Time Time Life Books, Pages Missing etc.
0: I'm getting um, too old for this so, shit. So Harry Reid had hired this guy. Yeah he hired this guy and he got the funding to do this project because Harry Reid was very interested in the topic and uh, so for f- and it was something like 22 million dollars which right. you know to me seems like a lot but it, in terms of like government funding it's nothing and I think that was the purpose was it was so lowly funded that it was you know under the radar so you know they could do this secretly And keep investigating UFOs So and wasn't he involved with another guy Who um, Was like an entrepreneur who, yeah. What's yeah. that? So Harry Reid was directly involved With Robert Bigelow um, This guy is an entrepreneur He started a, a budge, the Budget Hotel Suites So this dude's a billionaire And he's had a strong interest in UFOs For many, many years He is convinced that we've been visited um, By something Otherworldly, non-human, and uh, he had been helping to fund this project as well. So any information that was going into this Pentagon story was then getting funneled to Robert Bigelow. Wait, so this is a private citizen that's yeah. funding a, a, a Pentagon government? inspection unit? Yes. And was he legally getting the information, or was, it, was the guy just passing it to him? I, I see. That's where I, I it gets very interesting. Um, well, that's supposedly, terrifying gigolo has wreckage from ufo craft in his possession well in one of those budget suites
2: yeah Yeah. it's crazy and he has a brother named deuce who's actually a male gigolo i don't know if people know about that but uh just looking for a joke camille all right i see your disappointment did you find one
0: did you find a joke yeah
2: when are you gonna find it let me know
0: when you find a joke you know what the joke is out there um The joke and truth are out there, and as you can tell, it was a light-hearted conversation that took many turns throughout the night, and more X-Files quotes than you can possibly imagine by Kumail Nanjiani, which I appreciated more than you know. But what I really appreciated was how serious Moshe Kasher was about this discussion. Toward the end of the night, Moshe asked the audience if anyone had been convinced to believe in the UFO phenomenon, or look further into it. The response both surprised me and left me truly inspired. But you'll have to hear the whole episode for that. The Houndtall discussion series is available on all major podcast outlets and can also be streamed directly through the Nerdist website at nerdist.com. Just search for the Hound Talk Discussion series. My special thanks goes out to Moshe for having me and for really doing his homework on this one. It was an informative, hilarious, and even serious discussion I won't soon forget. And now, let's get to this week's interview. There are few podcasts that really catch my attention. As a rabid podcast consumer, I am always on the hunt for high production value informative content and a host who can hold their own and bring something unique and fresh to my earbuds. And I can't think of a better culmination of all these traits than Ufomet, hosted by Jim Perry. I've had the absolute honor and pleasure to have been on UFOMet in its original form, talking all about UFOs and contact experiences. Jim's list of guests was incredible. And the stories he told blended seamlessly with atmospheric music and sound bites that left chills up and down my spine. His ability to craft a narrative in every episode set him apart from your run-of-the-mill podcast concerning the esoteric, the occult, the paranormal, or the ufological. And after a lengthy hiatus, I was so excited to learn that Euphomet was coming back, bigger and better than ever. So today we are going to talk all about the Euphemed of the past. What exactly Jim kept busy with during the hiatus and the all-new version of the show that is surely going to perk some ears to the strange world around us. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with
1: Jim Perry.
0: Jim, thanks so much for joining me
1: today on Somewhere in the Skies, man. Super excited to be here with you. You're uh, one of my... Closest friends within this community. Although we have never met, we're very, I feel, spiritually connected into this realm, and uh, (laughs) it's great to really have one of my first conversations since the relaunch with you.
0: I am so honored, man. And yes, I agree. Like, there's definitely a connection there. uh, Mutual respect. I've been following your work. I'm a huge, huge fan. Ever since uh, we we reached out to each other and kind of bounced ideas off of one another, and it's funny. I remember one of the last times you and I spoke, you were interviewing me from the outskirts of Tillamook Air Force Museum. Oh! Oh yeah, Damn, I remember that's right. that? Yeah, you I were do. you were investigating the airship flap of the nineteen eighties. That's how dedicated you are to your work, brother. So we have so much to catch up on in terms of euphemet what you've been up to and all that but uh before we dive into that you have to catch me up on this other amazing endeavor you've been tackling and that's defy wrestling my god i was a huge (laughs) wrestling fan growing up and when i saw you were doing this uh i was just like how many hats does this guy wear so please tell me all about how this got started before we even get into the crux
1: of the interview here that that is awesome i'm glad you asked um it's it's interesting because it's it's a it's wrestling is very uh, divisive right it's um you either like it or you don't kind of thing for a lot of folks and i and i think one of the reasons is that folks have like sort of a, a expectation that wrestling is the WWF after the wwe right yeah. that it's hulk hogan that it's steve austin whatever it is That's what it is. And and truly it isn't. uh, Wrestling is just like music in the sense that there are all sorts of genres, all sorts of tempos, tones, characters, styles.
2: We now go to Defy Wrestling in Seattle, Washington, where Sammy Callahan is going one-on-one with Randy Myers. Defy Wrestling, you can check out. Coming soon to the Global Wrestling Network app. Featuring some of the biggest names in independent wrestling. You know, JB, have you noticed the change in attitude of OVE, of Dave and Jake Chris, since the arrival of Sammy Callahan? These guys are more dangerous than ever before. We love taking you around the world, showing you action from all over the planet. (laughs) Callahan is a brawler. He's a fighter. And has single-handedly Ooh. changed the landscape of the tag team division. Look at this. Callahan. And Myers needs to be careful. And this is what I love about Impact. Like JB said, each and every week, you never know what you're going to see. Defy is the biggest pro wrestling promotion in all of Washington State. And you get to see it here on Impact.
1: For, for me, what, what was interesting about launching Defy was that in this area, there was, there was no one really doing these sort of punk rock wrestling shows where mm. they're really actually, you know, there's wrestling. Sure. But it's really a, tr- uh, like a true nightlife alternative in particular for folks our age, you know, these are the same folks that one night they're going to go and see a hip hop show. You know, the next they're going to be at a bar. The next they're not to say that this is my life. Cause it's not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> way, sure. too, way too busy. Yeah. But, um, you know, and and then they're like going to the debut of Deadpool two, and then the next night they're going to go check out wrestling, right? So uh, it's 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 essentially uh, really built around this aspect of let's have a fun show, let's create a really good experience and a good vibe, and it's really paid off. Like Defy has become one of the uh, sort of the most well known uh, independent wrestling organizations now in the world at this point, and we're working with some of the best talent, and they're so. Fun. it's such a great experience and such a great atmosphere that i i almost like can't believe i'm involved in it folks can like look at more like defywrestling.com. we have everything up there but it's it's one of the reasons i had to step back from euphemet. it's not the exclusive reason but one of the reasons was i got into this other rabbit hole and it took me like completely for a ride in all sorts of different ways
0: I can only imagine man. Yeah, I mean just looking at the website I'm like this is super slick. This is the kind of wrestling like I would I would go to. You know, yeah. we we kind of we lived in that, you know, golden age, silver age of WWE, WCW, yeah. ECW, but like you said, where you're located and what you guys are striving for at at Defy seems very unique and that seems to be your bag, man, being unique. <laughs> you're you're doing things that maybe Maybe there were predecessors before you that tried these things, but they're not landing it like you are. And I think that's what's most important. And that's kind of what drew me to Euphomet as well. But um, again, like you said, there was the hiatus. Defy came around. Wasn't the only reason that um, that Euphomet had to take a little break. But you also did some other cool stuff while you were on break. And that was attending the East SETI Ranch. Uh, for those who may not know what East SETI is, I met the dude who owns the ranch a couple times. He is a trip. Uh, I'd love to hear about, you, you went there more than once, right? I did. I've been there
1: twice. Okay, okay. Uh, each of those experiences were pretty unique. Uh, they were both during parts, different parts of the year. And so essentially East SETI, you, you can, anyone can camp there. Just like a, this isn't sort of well known, but you can go online, you can reserve your camp space just like a KOA or whatever else. And you know, instead of uh, hey, there's a water park five miles down the street near this KOA, like why don't you come? It's like hey, why don't you come and have some of the most unbelievable, you know, aerial phenomena take place in front of your eyes. Oh yeah, that's a shift. Whatever's
2: in the middle, of my camera is moving. See it? That is a shift. I've got it right in the middle now. I'll tap that's it. That's weird because we can't see it with the naked eye. never
1: really been that way. Right. There. That's one that that's one How you can always it earlier today see. It's moving
2: slow. It's like a ball, see? Oh,
3: I see it now, yeah.
2: I'm holding the camera still and it's moving from no, my right know. to my left. Well, whatever that is. Oh, oh right there. Oh
1: oh, oh oh that came right up right <sighs> to us. <laughs> oh that was bitching.
2: Oh there it is. There it is. Oh.
1: Yep, there it is. And in fact, like I can confirm. Th- that's that's essentially what happened while, while being there. There was, there was uh, each time I was there, unbelievable lights and phenomenon that happened in that field, looking up towards Mount Adams, things that I can't explain, things that were not satellites, things that were not planes, um, were they drones? Maybe, I don't know, but whatever it was, whatever these things were, whatever these lights were very very alarming and for whatever reason that space is special you know i have like like many of us i'm sure you're the same way ryan you know we make it a point to look up all the time right a lot of people forget about that but we're looking up we're like what's what's up there am i going to see something is tonight the night am i going to be lucky i think there's a part of us that even if we do or do not believe we like the idea of that and we're looking for that connection perhaps right but there's those places where you don't see anything, you know, and it is what it is. Uh, I, two weekends ago, I was in Joshua Tree, and we were, we were there at night. Uh, me and my assistant producer, Tyler, were just up on the top of his car and looking up, just seeing if we could, you know, hey, here we are. You know, Are we going to experience anything? We weren't looking, but we we're just trying to, like, let it all in, mm-hmm. especially in the environment, and nothing. You know, this is just a night where there was nothing there. And that's fine. And that's typical of almost anywhere. e is different. e you go there and you tell yourself, well, okay, well, I heard the stories. I'm not going to try to build it up. I'm going to have as little expectations as possible because I don't want to be just completely disappointed. And you go there and then it exceeds your expectations. You see the lights. You have those experiences. And both times that happened. And where exactly is this located? So it's, uh, it's located about five miles outside of Trout Lake, Washington, which is uh, fairly close to the Columbia River and the Columbia River Gorge. It's on the eastern uh, side of Washington State, and it's essentially towards the foothills of Mount Adams, which is this you know, volcanic uh, behemoth that kind of uh, really uh, places its stake high in the skyline and uh, the experience there. And so you're, you know, surrounded by trees, surrounded by forest, surrounded by this really majestic volcanic mountain. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the place uh, itself, uh, geographically, uh, aside from any sort of supernatural or anomalous activity, is absolutely stunning. It already does such a good job of putting you into a state of kind of empathy towards your surroundings. I would suppose some would say maybe it raises your vibration, perhaps, you know, just in terms of your perspective of where you're at in the world and your relatively small size.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, man. I would think, like, you know, just being in that atmosphere and feeling that around you, it has to have some sort of influence on your perception of the phenomena that may be occurring there. What it is, I- I'm sure we will never know. It reminds me a lot of the uh, the Heseltine lights that we hear about. I'm telling you, man, Washington, the birthplace of flying saucers, there's got to be something to that. And that's so cool. I mean... Just experiencing that, what what the both times? what did it make you feel? I, I always have to ask witnesses who experience UFO phenomena, aerial anomalies what what would you say was like kind of the the gut reaction to experiencing these things?
1: It made me change my perspective on like our reality in a way, mm-hmm. and I think that was also informed and influenced by. Euphemet in itself so going there as as a podcast host and and someone that was very deep into researching these topics and and uh, essentially kind of losing himself in these conversations with these folks uh in this never-ending rabbit hole uh whether it be on the mystical tip or you know aliens as technology ambassadors or or what have you you know this This paranormal, this esoteric, this occult shit just keeps going and going and going. And a guy can kind of, especially if it's in the right time of the person's life, a person can essentially kind of spin out. And we hear that, right? We hear people that are kind of sinking or they get into this stuff. And then there's that spin out moment Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, okay. Like there's a paradigm shift, I think. And it sort of affects you in a bunch of different ways for me. It was like, hey, I gotta, I gotta change my life. Like, this, this like sort of um, high pre- pressure atmosphere that I put myself uh, under, other people to to do work for them is not working out well. That's like not my calling. And also, like, I'm, I'm kind of like digging uh, dangerously close into things that I don't have enough sort of respect and responsibility to know about. Mm. Was my feeling, and so. When I saw all this stuff like actually manifest itself, all this stuff that I've been reading about and, and watching TV shows and listening to Art Bell about for years, when I finally started to see these lights and have these sort of um, very, you know, there were other experiences while there that were very sort of spiritual in nature, um, and I'm not really a spiritual kind of guy, but they, they sort of changed my perspective on life, and they made me take a step back And I think a part of that, like, I'm just putting these pieces together now. I've never thought about it in this way. But I think that influenced me stopping Euphomet at that time, too. Like, as soon as those experiences happened, that's when sort of the work stopped on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it certainly coincided with some other things going on, the pursuit of launching Defy and some of these other things. But essentially, that's where I almost, I feel, subconsciously had to change my gears just to ground myself in reality again, after kind of having my mind blown.
0: Wow, (laughs) man, that like, that's incredible. It's it is it's it's a recalibration after you have one of these experiences. And, you know, you're on your own personal journey with this. And that's, that's a feeling that none of us will ever feel we were not in your shoes, we were not seeing it through your eyes, but you had your own experience. And that That's what I love about this stuff is no matter what you tell me you saw, no matter what a witness tells me what they saw, I'm never going to know what they felt or what they experienced or how it truly changed their life. And that's a journey I'm on, too, man, is just, you know, interviewing as many people as I can and just seeing how it affected them, the implication to having a UFO sighting, a paranormal experience, and... What that can mean in terms of humanity, too, like collectively, it's just it's exciting that each person can have their own personal disclosure of these things and move forward with their life, maybe Mm. in a different way or maybe not. I mean, you know, I've spoken to many witnesses who said, yeah, saw it, don't care, doesn't bother me, moving on. (laughs) <laughs> and that's totally fine. Like, you can't force that on anyone. And I think that's the beauty of it, too. Like, whatever lay at the source of these things, they will throw it in your face, kind of like they did with you. You know? Yeah. Stop you from that right now. You know, reassess your life and start anew. And I think that's yeah. really cool. And that's that's kind of what you've done. Um, but before we kind of get to the new... Version the uh, the born again version of Euphemed, as it, <laughs> if you will. Um, I'd love to maybe reminisce about maybe one or two of your favorite experiences from the past version of Euphemed. You had some really interesting guests. You could kind of see the evolution of the show in what it is today in the newer version. But is, are there any experiences with the original version that really stick out to you as being like, oh? I am on the right track, or oh, this is really cool. I'm glad I did this. Anything really stick out to you?
1: I think in general, you know I've referred to the the original series as sort of the longest pilot ever <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i i had the I had the freedom and the opportunity to experiment with so many different formats while the audience followed along with it that's what was like amazing to me is that the audience followed along with all that stuff, and they grew as well. And I was changing things left and right all the time. Um, you know, I, I, I at points was very consistent with drop dates, and I even went live at at, at a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were other times where I had to step back, and I did not put out as much. But and, and then I would switch it up, and I would you know throw a radio drama in, or I would throw in um, a retelling, like sort of investigation deal. Uh, we did some we did some awesome stuff with the Newkirks. I think some of those episodes really stand out in terms of uh, some of the uh, audio storytelling we did. Right. Um, And I I think any episode that gave me the chance to explore, I I really felt connected to any of the Dispatch episodes and any of the conversations where I was outside of the studio space, which is my dining room area, uh, (laughs) and I was – I was out in the field, I was talking to people, and I was uh, getting as, as, as many chances as possible to essentially represent the environment I was in to the listener and make them feel like they were there. So we did some really fun stuff where we did a live show with Tim Rothschild, and during this live show, it was uh, a- essentially our, our road trip through the Cascade Mountains uh, we were coming back from this sort of journey you know, in other parts of Washington State, and it was a fun talk, and it was really cool, but at the same time, when we were playing it live, uh, we were also posting video, photo, other resources, elements at the same time, and we had folks tweeting, engaging, calling, texting. It was like this weird, live, paranormal jam band thing going on between <laughs> us and the audience and everything else, and... And it was at that moment I, I felt I felt like, oh, this is just a fraction of probably like what Art Bell felt like. When he's doing these conversations, they're going through middle of the night. The fax machine is just overheating. It's just shooting out hundreds of pages a minute. Uh, <laughs> and he's answering calls and he's getting emails and all these different things. And um, I think that like sort of visceral nature and connection that the show was able to provide sometimes was – it still leaves a, a, a very distinct feeling, and and uh, and it's sort of a residual like, hey, I want to go back to that at some point. I want to find a way to connect to the audience in that in that sort of visceral way. But per guess, in certain moments, it's kind of like, I guess I've been going so fast, I haven't had a chance to like sort of properly uh, reflect mm-hmm. on some of those things. But I but I think anytime we were able to to really feature the radio dramas and create a space where they were. The highlighted piece were really my favorite, some of my favorite moments, because I felt like it wasn't that that we were able to communicate these stories, these real stories from folks, in the most emotive, earnest ways. And that was always the goal from day one: was to to, to feature radio diaries and radio stories every single show, and then provide some sort of backfill in terms of information, whether it be an expert or another experiencer. And when we did that right, I felt like we did it really well.
0: Yeah, I knocked it out of the park, man. Those were my favorite episodes. And that's kind of why I'm so excited that you're coming back, because this is kind of the, the approach you're taking now with a newer version, which we'll get into. Um, but I'd love to know... You know, now that you is coming back, uh, you have a very interesting company behind all this. So, I'd love to hear. Could you tell us a little about Nomish Hat? What they do? Yeah. And how you got involved with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gnomish Hat is a parent company to uh, several uh, several creative projects. Uh, one of them being uh, this subscription box game called Hunt a Killer, and it's like incredibly fascinating what these guys have been able to do. And how much dedication and sort of creative thought uh, has been invested into this super successful, uh, super successful game? You, you essentially you're sent a box of clues and all this sort of um, fictionalized material that looks authentic, like 100% authentic, and you you put together the scraps, man. You put up. You put up your board on the wall, yep, or you yep. just have a bunch of, and you're connecting. You know, you're connecting the dots. They've created a really great system to engage folks online in terms like there's community groups and secret message boards and all these really esoteric ways of communication that um, allow folks to get to, to essentially complete these together. Um, so it's very community oriented. So yeah, so they so they have that going on, and now they are emerging into the podcast.
2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Press base, and they come from a
1: real... A real place with an authority to publish. You know, they have been, especially in terms of this realm, launching with something like Euphemet. I think is, is is brilliant because that's a space they're familiar with. That's a space they respect, and I think it only is going to grow from here in terms of what we're going to be able to do together, in collaboration, and what may lay next. You know, we're we're interested in telling stories and, and in in all different types of ways and they resonate with that very much so and you know i respect their uh, creativity and their business very much so euphomet could not could not really be more excited
0: it is a uh, a match made in heaven for sure a weird heaven but a heaven nonetheless. <laughs> but speaking of weird man um i have to ask you know before we get into um your first couple episodes here your logo the new logo that kind of blew people away so interesting so how did that come about what does that represent to you and what does it convey to your listeners
1: yeah so it was very important to me that we we did do something different Mm -hmm. with the logo you look at you look at like sort of the market today and you look at some of the stuff that Gimlet is doing and some of these other podcasts where, you know, it's it's very important. It's like it's your album cover. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, it's the first contact of your brand and your content and your tone and your vibe and everything else with the audience um, in a lot of different ways. So, you know, I, I, typically, I typically design a lot of my own stuff, but this time I really wanted a, an outside resource. I wanted to collaborate with someone. And I've been following this work of this guy, Simon Marchner. He is a German graphic designer, uh, poster designer. He's done work for some super huge bands and some indie bands and, and just does great um, print gig posters and such. And so I approached him with the notion of doing this and explained to the show, and it immediately resonated with him. He uh, started to immediately sort of craft some ideas, and we landed on this idea of, of using the moth, the moth is interesting, I think, subconsciously for a lot of different levels. I think that it's, of course, uh, in, in a lot of regards, a, a nocturnal animal that is like uh, compelled by the light. And so I think even with the name Euphemet, uh, <laughs> which is like sort of a uh, is, is sort of a word derived from a euphemistic Baphomet, you know, like a polite devil. Um, mm, okay, I've never asked you that. That's a, really a euphemism on its own. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So it, it 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 fits very well with the name itself on a base level, but I think that tales of transformation and using the symbol of the moth is is it resonates with that message. Um, so that's where a lot of that came from.
0: Perfect. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better a better way to convey that. That's so cool. Um, well. Let's sort of get to what your what the new version of Euphemet has to offer. You 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 spoke about real stories, like talking to these people, having their voices be a part of this, and I think that's the way to go. Focus on real people, real stories, and that really came across with your one of your two premiere episodes here, and that was possession. Holy hell, man. I listened to this this morning. It was so incredible and creepy. So what made you want to take this approach with uh, with the show and kind of in specific with this episode, Possession?
1: Well, I think in general what draws me to using radio stories to illustrate these stories, you know, they haven't been done this way. We haven't heard a lot of these supernatural paranormal uh, experiences told in that form, with those voices, with that level of sort of production, finesse and tone applied to it. There's folks that have done pieces and have started to do pieces in this in this way. But back when we first started experimenting within the show, it really it wasn't done, right? So it was important for me to continue doing that in a very almost cinematic way. Like sonically, it should feel like a film. Like you're watching a documentary, or a science fiction film, or a horror film. Um, so that's the tone we want to establish: is 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 leaning into c- cinema and theater of of the mind. Secondly, you know I'm I'm a big fan of where radio producers, uh, you know, get their ideas and their sort of ideas from and their process of connecting uh, real humanistic stories to extraordinary events. And that's one thing that, that we really focus in on is really connecting the human stories, you know to such things as, as you know UFO encounters or exorcisms or you know hauntings. It's important to us that whenever we find stories, the, the event, the experience is one thing, but it's never enough.
3: Okay, so my dad bought this house in the 70s. We're in Eagle Rock, California. He met my mom here in Eagle Rock and been living here ever since. He documented things meticulously, meticulously, like books he's read, music, events that have happened, things that have happened in the neighborhood, on the street, interactions with neighbors. Yeah, no, it's almost, almost to a ridiculous amount. And I didn't appreciate it until he passed away. So my dad passed away about three, four weeks ago, so very very recently. So we've just begun to go through his things, barely, like we've just started. But through going through his things, we came across one notebook titled The Exorcism. What is it? So it says, exorcism, the date, 7-22-2011. says, I made a police. Oh, my gosh, Dad, I can't read your handwriting. I made it a policy many, many years ago to never interrupt an exorcism. Okay, so I should just stop here. My dad had a sense of humor. <laughs> Which is why, okay, so I should back up. I don't think a lot of people's natural reaction would be to, like, document it to this extent. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I can keep going. That is why I called the LAPD a couple of nights ago to do my dirty work. Part 1, 12 midnight to 12.50 a.m., wife and I are sleeping in bed, window open about six inches. A woman began screeching, a guttural sound, and then it would go quiet. And then I could hear water as if someone was being dunked in the bathtub. There would be a low growl sometimes after the dunk. something about being scared he was scared I was scared at coming upon a creature um, he's talking about getting goosebumps which is interesting to me because it's it's really it's really it, it's weird hearing about how he felt about it because I think like you know he's my dad you know he's never scared of anything and the fact that he's writing about getting goosebumps and like thinking that this was like a really scary thing and also him being like an atheist. I mean, this is something that he felt very strongly about. He doesn't. He did not He doesn't believe in that kind of thing. So he talks here about more about to the the woman saying push it, push harder or something about the demons and the spirits leaving the woman. I thought to myself, "Fuck this shit," and I called nine one one. <laughs> okay, so my dad tells us that's a sense of humor. <laughs> oh my gosh, dad.
1: We're looking for that human element. We're looking for that connection, whether that's transformation or or however. It goes back to some, some fundamental story elements, right? Like you're a student of theater. You understand that in scripts you you're you're going on the hero's journey and there's you know there's challenges and and ultimately there's transformation perhaps or there's not but whatever there's 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 an arc and it's really important for us to find those characters for those for those people and find those stories and that's honestly it it won't be as big of a challenge as it seems because everyone has a story like this i'm sure you encounter it everyone has a story like this they may not remember it right away, but if you're talking to someone, back of their mind, it invariably always pops up. Oh, yeah, I did have this thing that I can't explain. Oh, yeah, oh, my uncle, <laughs> you know, had this, this, and this. So within their own selves or within their lineage or within their friends, these occurrences, these unknown experiences, this anomalous activity really does touch us in a much broader way than just culturism. It, it like touches us in a personal way. And so our hope is to just really mine those stories and find those fascinating voices and do it in a very tasteful, refined way as well. It's very important that we're not playing Halloween music, right? Like, it's yeah, very important okay. that we, we, you know, come from a place of respect, you know, as a member of this community myself, you know, why do you, like, we can't characterize it in that way anymore. You know, it doesn't do anyone a service.
0: Absolutely, man. And I mean, that respect is there even in this this episode, Possession, where you spoke to a young woman, you know, weeks after her father passed away. I mean, how much more vulnerable can you get in terms of interviewing someone who had a strange, esoteric, paranormal, ufological experience? It's crazy. And I think that's what connected me immediately to this, the structure you're doing. Everyone does have a story to tell. No matter how crazy it may sound, no matter how life altering or not life altering it is, it's going to resonate with someone in a way that they may never expect it and you may not as well so i think that's really cool the way you're doing this and how it's going to connect to people in very different ways
1: thank you and you know it's it's an opportunity to bring new voices into the fold that have different perspectives the the story you're mentioning was produced by James Kim and Robert Garova and there's these fantastic story producers uh, based out of LA have contributed works to public public media um, for years now and creating some of the most kind of like groundbreaking uh, radio stories there are. And they also have an interest in telling these type of stories, but they are not within the community. And that's, what's fascinating to me and interesting to me about this whole project is that there are a lot of great storytellers that have an interest or a fondness to this material. That have not spun out, (laughs) that essentially are able to um, sort of keep a human grounded perspective, but to tell these stories in new ways. And that's our opportunity here.
0: I, I I couldn't think of a better way to get an outside perspective with the skill set of telling a story to really give the respect to the witness or experiencer that they deserve, other than just you know like you said, just this date
1: it happened weird, moving on. So well, yeah, yeah. you know, and that stuff's and that stuff's great, but we really like within our community we live within an echo chamber, and that's not dissimilar to any other sort of niche community, you know, for lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. That's 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 everywhere. That's every sort of industry. That's every sort of community. But I think it is important that we don't ostracize and we don't exclude those others that that may have different perspectives that may not even believe any of the shit at all. But have some sort of interest, you know, have some sort of notion that they can contribute or a story that they want to share and to really open it up into a comfortable space where we have this opportunity, I think, especially per, you know, sort of folks our age that are like sort of at the end of that millennial bump, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. that we, we look at disseminating informations about ourselves, especially personal things, in a much different way. We're in one sense more private, yet at the same, like much more exposed. And we actually leave much more of our emotion exposed, I think, than generations in the past, we're very open to share our opinions. We're very open to share uh, what's really kind of in our heart. And I think that you see that like sort of represented in like sort of this new spiritualism community, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the new yoga EDM mysticism kick, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's revisiting these these uh, old platforms in terms of building community through some of these thoughts. But I think we have an opportunity to now tell those stories in a more rich and enthralling way and an honest way without any of the shade mm-hmm. that would formerly be attributed to it
0: exactly and you mentioned spiritualism and that's something i want to get into you here in a moment here jim is uh in one of your original episodes you interviewed uh, Carl Pfeiffer, the paranormal investigator. And yeah. I was so enthralled by the stories he was telling. I had to have him on my show, of course, during the Halloween season. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what we talked about towards the end of our conversation a lot was this idea of science and spiritualism. And that's something you kind of tackle in your premiere episode here of Beyond the Veil. And I'd love to s- discuss that idea of the veil with you. You and I have talked about this in the past, and you've been telling me about this idea of a veil being, you know, quite thin in the past as opposed to today. And you brought up the name John D, someone I'd never really heard of. So I'd love if maybe just for a few moments here, we- you could tell us a little about John and this whole idea of science versus spiritualism.
1: I firstly am so excited that you don't have, very much familiarity with them. No, I, um, no, no. I can admit I, that. I love, ta- you know, just the other night I, I started going on about this and talking, like, just just a preface, I'm not an expert at John D. You know, <laughs> there's some other great resources that I'll, I'll mention. But uh, just having a, a, a really late dinner uh, with some folks that started to ask a little bit of questions. I'm sure you've had this, have you had this experience where you're, like, sort of catfished into divulging a little bit more trippy stuff than what they're maybe ready for have you had that experience where they ask leading questions and then you start going into something and then it gets way too deep too quick
0: (laughs) oh yeah man i never in my life have i experienced that more than when i moved here to la because they (laughs) embrace this stuff so much why the hell i'm moving back to new york city i couldn't tell you but yes (laughs) I've had that experience
1: where, like, it it just it's like it's like a full on car crash where it what goes from zero to eighty immediately, and and it's great. Like, if you you come out on the other side and you guys are like, "Whoa, that was that was cool," like <laughs> yeah. I want to. But sometimes in this like this conversation the other night was like, "Oh, this I don't know where I want to go with this." That was their reaction. We don't know what we want to do with this information. So yeah, good times. But uh, you know, essentially bef- bef- before I like share anything with John D. And in particular, your um, your question about like what what I think in regards to to this thinning of the veil, Jason Liu does he did a great book, uh, John Dee and the Empire of Angels, really fascinating book about John Dee and and uh, his his cultural effects. Um, but you know like some would, some would actually say the relationship between uh, the occult and science <laughs> is is strong right now. Actually, there are kind of forces outside of the mainstream narrative perhaps that are perhaps covertly or unknowingly using occult technique or information while practicing scientific method right now and engineering. Um, some would say things like CERN, like d-wave quantum computing, um, things like that is are, are actually an expression of that are actually <laughs> an expression of um, occult engineering. you know and, and in the most recent past, you know, there have been pioneering forces in science, technology, rockets, weaponry that have been completely immersed in magic and the occult. And many would kind of say that greater than that, greater than Dee and his early contemporaries even, um, in terms of how far they went. But essentially John Dee, he was we, – we have to go back to the 16th century, um, to the Elizabethan age. And that was a time that, you know, when I was mentioning this earlier, it was kind of – In response to this, because that was that was sort of a time where science and magic intersected, Mm -hmm. um, even for scientists at the time. D. He was a Cambridge-educated scientist. He was Queen Elizabeth's one scientific advisor. Um, She kind of relied on him mostly for his skill in math. He was a he was an expert mathematician, but he was also he was also the definition of a Renaissance man. He provided uh, astrology. He consulted on map making, in, in which actually really allowed the British Empire its conquest was a direct result of of sort of his consult through the map making. D was also he was the real 007. Um, he coined that name for himself as he he at the time he like helped create the first network of spies and code breakers, and he several times he thwarted attempts by the Catholics to dethrone the Queen. So he did all this, but he was essentially—he's essentially been left out of history and science books because, in addition to all of his work within this realm, the occult was intimately woven together with his investigations, mm-hmm. um, whether it be through religion, mathematics, natural science, etc. cetera. Uh, the occult was like sort of ever present in all of that stuff, um, and it's because Dee claimed to speak to angels, and so, like Dee, like other scientists. Uh, at that time, he used the occult as a way of gaining insight in the world, right? So it was still, it was still controversial, but very much less so than now. In particular, like whatever the mainstream narrative was at the day, it was common. And this was, before, this was before the modern Western methodology had taken shape. So bef- before the scientific method had really created that stronghold in terms of how we view the world. At this time, the that sort of, for lack of better words, the tail of the tape, <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't didn't indicate whether we were going to go the way of D, which was magic and science and ritualism, communication with the other side, or if it was going to go like with Francis Bacon, who. You know, created the scientific method, and they were you know sort of contemporaries. So we didn't know which way that was going to go, and it was all used at the same time. So at that time, the the veil in regards to the veil, the separation between us and the other was was much thinner, and uh, our acceptance was granted for that, in the allowance to discover methodology or secrets that were left in ancient texts. That was like sort of the main. Uh, calling point uh, d had one of the largest libraries uh, in europe at that time and his uh, angelic communication um, with occultist edward kelly was born through alchemy investigation they at some point they at some point reg- uh, reported to begin communicating with these angelic beings who essentially imparted to them a language uh, the same language used by adam and eve so imagine that right. Right? you're dipping your toes into this you are the chief scientist for elizabeth i and you're also unlocking a secret language then this language would essentially unlock secrets from the book of enoch allegedly so that that's the story of of d you know all that all that to be said th- there's this other entire angle which is that kelly was a con man d was just after gold and sex naturally and they, <laughs> As they both do. Yeah. And they both they both sort of died unceremoniously, um in not the most ideal conditions. But these journals contained the Enochian script and the tables of correspondence that uh that that went along with it. And they really did believe that their visions, at least what they reported, they really believed their visions uh, was giving them access to secrets contained in the Book of Enoch. But Dee really was a man of the time. His viewpoint and work sort of mixed. He sort of mixed facts and fiction to mm-hmm. make things like astronomy and astrology work together and to also help snoop out enemies of the state, which kind of makes me think of Tom DeLong a little bit. I was just going to say that. Wow.
0: You know, Secret so there's city. like this,
1: yeah, there's this weird kind of thing going on. But, you know, essentially uh, their work inspired Rosicrucian's the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, you know some of these some of these Hermetic orders from around the world, and one of the most interesting influences for me personally that I've been learning about is uh, the inspiration on guys like Jack Parsons and Ron Hubbard and uh, their Babylon working uh, experiments um, and pulling directly from the Enochian texts uh, to put together uh, really these really these Enochian rituals that. Um, the Enochians themselves allegedly had told D to not participate in, but to just kind of make record of. So a lot of these like very strange kind of sex magic rituals and stuff that, that they were uncovering in these texts, allegedly they, Kelly and Dee didn't even participate in. They were like, no, we're just like going to write it down. We're, you know, we're just going to talk to the angels. We're not going to be, you know, um, sharing our seed with, like tablets and stuff, yeah. which is a thing, I guess. But uh, guys like Jack Parsons, the founder of Jet Propulsion Laboratory, one of the inventors of modern weaponry, he did, I guess. Him and Hubbard were all about it. Yeah. Um, so they were they were out in the Mojave messing around with that stuff. And so, you know, in addition to that, you know, more recently, a guy like Anthony Patch, who's this fantastic writer, and I've talked to him several times. He, he has it in his ideas that like all this relates to CERN, D-Wave computing, and, and is, is very fundamental in, in uh, some of these organizations and some of these non-mainstream entities that are, in fact – propelling some of the most cutting-edge science and technology but also have their foot as firmly placed in the occult as anyone ever
0: i mean look at like the opening ceremonies when cern like came (laughs) around oh my god dude it was terrifying yeah
1: yeah (laughs) all the occult imagery and oh man no one knew what to expect from them oh absolutely and and even uh, you know after that, you know, the, the weird videos and stuff like yeah. that of, of, uh, of, of, of rituals that, that were purported to be hoaxes and, and all these, you know, but were captured by, like, sort of official cameras, I think. Um, all of these things, they really do – they blur that line between fact and fiction, and that's very D, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so D <laughs> is what – I think that will be my new podcast. That's, that's so, so D. D. So, so it's very interesting, and, and it, it – I think, does relate very much to what we're experiencing right now, especially in terms of the recent uh, information that has come out in regards to, uh, you know, anomalous aerial activity, etc. And it's going to be interesting to see how much further uh, some of these, you know, alleged purported forces blend fact and fiction blends whatever they're working on with a more mainstream narrative and, uh, you know, what all this means, you know, so it's kind of a head trip.
0: It is, man, and I know you're going to be tackling all
1: of that. What what do you
0: have coming up next for the show? You dropped these two surprise episodes on us, blew my mind. What's coming next for you from that?
1: Well, so we're working on our full slate of radio stories right now. We have some, I'd say we have a really great mix of unheard voices, and then voices that are going to be more familiar to people within the community, Mm -hmm. and then even people within entertainment. And so I think it's important to have a great spread of these more familiar voices and then voices that are like... You know, this could be my friend from next door, and we have some very exciting, some very exciting stories in those regards. Um, we are covering uh, some of the some of the standards in a new way. I think some of these stories that we've been exposed to, that we've heard, we're going to be covering those in a new way. And of course, right now it's it's a, it's a matter of digging through material, digging for those stories. And I, I, one of, I mean, I love talking with you on this episode, and I hope one of the like sort of the benefits of this uh selfishly is that folks will reach out and want to tell their story on UFOMet. so if they have an experience if they have a story they want to tell that you know uh, it, that's esoteric in nature uh, that's supernatural that has changed their lives that's touched them that's unexpected, let us know at the show right, yeah, absolutely where can they reach you for that They can reach me directly jim at euphemet dot com and we're at UFAMED on any of the social channels, and they can reach out there as well. Awesome. And
0: I know you also you have a survey up on the website, too, that people can help sort of shape and mold the show with you as you go along on the journey, which I think is a really cool opportunity as well.
1: You know, it's, we want the listener to help shape the show. We want their feedback because this is, a, this is a different type of show, but this type of material being... Displayed so intimately mm-hmm. uh, has has never been done in this way, and so we know that it's not going to be perfect right out of the gate. We know that there's going to be changes that we can make to make the experience even better because we're just getting started. And so that was very important for for Ufomot to put that out there to solicit some feedback, to solicit some ideas. Because they, you know, ideas come everywhere. And our listener base, especially the ones that have been along for the ride so far, know me more than I even give them credit for, I think. I think that we've (laughs) had years and years and years of sort of being friends through this show. And so uh, I'm, I'm really hoping those folks as well as new listeners, uh, you know, kind of lean over, give me a nudge, you know, let me know what they think and uh, how we can improve the show or if it's just perfect already and we just need to make more. <laughs> Which would also be fine, I guess. One <laughs> can only
0: dream. Yeah, dude, your, your ambition and your dedication has always impressed me. And that's why I've been there since the beginning. And I can't wait to see what comes next in that intimacy you spoke of that resonates with me as a playwright you know and just as a human being more than anything is getting to know people on such a visceral level through these weird weird experiences in their life i can't imagine a better premise for a show so everyone please check out euphemet euphemet.com and jim thank you so much brother for coming on today and i can't wait to see what comes next
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. I, I appreciate it, and I look forward to our, our adventures to come, my friend. They've only begun.
0: All right, that's it for this week's episode. Again, you can subscribe to Ufomet on all major podcast outlets and stream directly through the website, ufomet.com. Somewhere in the Skies is brought to you by the E1 Podcast Network and can also be heard on the KGRA Radio Network. To learn more, visit EntertainmentOnePodcast.com one podcastcom and kgraradio.com. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. To help support the show and receive bonus content and rewards, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to contribute, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. All past episodes, articles, and contact information can be found at the official website, somewhereintheskies.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit Entertainment1Podcast.com.
2: Welcome to the Kryptonaut Podcast, hosted by Mark Stores, Chris Carneselli, Rob Morphe. Join us weekly as we explore everything from aliens, cryptozoology, the occult, ghosts, paranormal phenomenon, ufology, and unsolved mysteries. All while keeping a close eye on our reptilian overlords that dwell in the flat, hollow, robot-infested earth. This is the Kryptonaut Podcast. We are
3: available at CryptoNotPodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify,
2: Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, and YouTube.
3: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.